Hello and welcome to the Canadrens Podcast, Volume 9, Shadow of the Colossus 2018. Joining me, Ryan Heyman, in issue 406 are Ryan Edwards. Hello, hello. Jacob Geller. Agro. And Rich Davison. Agro. <laughs> Agro. There's not too many voice lines to work with here. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess we could all chip in on, on doing a good doorman, but uh, that would require a little bit more <laughs> um, coordination than I think we're typically used to. So here we are, Shadow of the Colossus 2018. This is a remake of the original Shadow of the Colossus, which came out on the PlayStation 2 back in 2005. This is specifically about the PlayStation 4 remake, although... I have a feeling that uh, we're going to be kind of dipping back and forth between that, the PS3 remaster, and the PS4 remake quite a few times, just because um, it's uh, we're going to be talking about the ways in which the versions differ, and you know, it's been since literally Canon Rinse issue number four <laughs> that we've discussed the original Shadow of the Colossus, so I feel like that's probably due a little bit of a refresh as well. Also, so, that one was a double feature in a somewhat yes. <laughs> nuts turn. <laughs> it was all of the Team Eco games to that point in time, <laughs> so uh, just missing out on The Last Guardian, which has since been covered, but um, yeah, that was a double feature with Eco and Shadow of the Colossus. So consider this uh, the main focus of this podcast to be on the Blue Point remake, remake, but there is going to be quite a bit of discussion about the original game uh, because it is inevitable and uh, likely comparisons made with the PS3 remaster. So this is an all-encompassing Shadow of the Colossus pod. Anyways, uh, the original game was developed by Team Eco and Sony Computer Entertainment Japan Studios, and that was released back in 2005 on the PlayStation 2. This remake was developed by Blue Point Games in 2018 following their 2011 remaster on the PlayStation 3. It was the same company of helming both of those projects. Um, I guess just to elaborate on the terminology there, a remaster is uh, kind of a, a spit shine on existing code and assets, uh, usually to kind of bring it up into HD or into a future generation. Uh, to allow it to be uh, playable on newer hardware. Usually the frame rate and the graphics and stuff are a little bit polished up, but for the most part, it retains use of uh, most of the original assets and code base, whereas a remake is um, new assets typically built mostly from the ground up. In this case, it's a little bit more complicated than that because as I understand it, there is some of the original code base that is repurposed for this remake, but for all intents and purposes, since there is already a remaster, uh, we're going to kind of cleanly draw the line at calling this the remake. So anytime that remake is used is meaning the PS4 version, anytime remaster is used, it means the PlayStation 3 version. <laughs> Anyways, published in, uh, in all cases by Sony Interactive Entertainment, um, the original game was directed by Fumito Ueda, and there is no credited director that i could find on the blue point version so i assume that uh 
you know, the the direction of the game has not significantly changed between the two. I think it's uh, still safe to credit Ueda with the direction of uh, the new one as well. Um, produced by Kenji Kaido in 2005, designed by Fumito Ueda in 2005 as well. And uh, the Blue Point version has um, additional designers credited, Daryl R. Allison, Randall W. Lowe, Howard Tang, and Merrick Drake at Blue Point. The composition, uh, the music, was done by Kao Otane, who I, I, I believe, and this is uh, me perhaps not doing as much research as I should have done, but I believe that the soundtrack was re-recorded, although I've listened to them back to back, and it's kind of hard for me to tell a difference. They or they did such a good job, if they did re-record it, of emulating the sound and feel of those original tunes um, that it's uh, it's difficult for, at least for me, to distinguish between the two of them. <laughs> um, it was released in 2005 and 2006 in various regions on the PlayStation 2, 2011 on the PS3, and 2018 on the PlayStation 4. Reviews uh, remain pretty consistent. Um, it received a general consensus of 91-ish review score in 2005, 92 in 2011 with the remaster and a 92 on uh, open critic in 2018 or a 91 on metacritic in 2018 so uh, remaining pretty consistent there the metacritic user score is a 7.9 for the most recent version a 9.1 for the 2005 version and an 8.7 for the 2011 version and i think uh, we'll get into some of the popular consensus and uh, some of the voices uh, kind of pro and con um, when this uh, remake came out in 2018 after we get into our own histories. So I, I guess I'll um, I'll get things started here. Uh, I never played the PlayStation 2 version, but I did play the PlayStation 3 remaster. I played back to back with um, Eco and Shadow of the Colossus and uh, I mean, it, it became a fast favorite. Um, I remember back when this game was still kind of new, um, back in the PlayStation 2, Xbox, GameCube generation, there were three games that were just kind of a little bit outside of the mainstream that always seemed to come up in conversations and they kind of, they would constantly be referenced together by uh, game journalists and people who are really enthusiastic about gaming. Uh, for being these kind of perhaps unsung or um, or yeah, just kind of outside of the mainstream masterpieces that people may have missed. And Shadow of the Colossus was one of those. Uh, and then um, uh, Beyond Good and Evil was always in that lineup. And uh, Oddworld Stranger's Wrath as well. Uh, and I just remember always seeing those three games referenced together. And so I was so curious for so long, what makes this game... <laughs> such a standout among so many of the the PlayStation 2 masterpieces that uh, had originally come out on that system. And so I was uh, really excited to start playing this one. I uh, I was more excited to play this than I was Eco because, you know, that game does have a strong reputation, but Shadow of the Colossus is where a lot of the um, kind of residual love for this uh, Team Eco's work I think really lies with a large portion of the community. People are very vocal about their love for Shadow of the Colossus. So I was really excited to get onto this one and I was, um, I was not disappointed. I, I found it to be 
extremely alluring from the very beginning. I found myself a little frustrated <laughs> with the controls, and I described it at the time as uh, playing uh, a giant slaying game controlling the world's clumsiest person, which, you know, they, they did smooth over a little bit in this new version. We can talk about whether or not we uh, appreciated some of those changes, but um, I, even regardless of the frustration from time to time with the controls, which I feel like is an intentional part of the experience. Uh, I was still a massive fan of that one. And so I pre-ordered this one, got a nice uh, steelbook case and it was still, you know, under the regular $60 price market. Uh, the standard edition came out at 40. I think the version that I got was just a couple dollars higher or maybe even the same price. It was just kind of some extra niceties bundled because I pre-ordered or something like that. But it was one of those kind of no-brainers like, yeah, absolutely. I'll play Shadow of the Colossus again with some uh, upgraded graphics and presentation. So that's where I came into this one. Um, Brian, what is your history with the multiple versions of Shadow of the Colossus? I got a PlayStation 2 relatively late in the PlayStation 2's life cycle. And I remember going to a friend's house and saying, hey, I know there's a hundred thousand games to play on this thing do you have any i can borrow and he gave me his copy of god of war god of war 2 and shadow of the colossus so i played god of war and then i played god of war 2 and then i put in shadow of the colossus and just controlling the character right away was just a complete turnoff to me i mean you're talking talking about i mean differences in in types of games and control style and the things that you're doing <laughs> and me being a impatient i think it was around 20 year old at the time i was like ah, i don't know about this and i kind of put it down and and kind of just discounted it for whatever reason and cut to you know uh six years later four five or six years later all the discourse around shadow of the colossus and what it meant and the impact it had on the industry and i was a little bit more mature a little bit more kind of in the in the mood to kind of look over my past attitudes towards some games that i didn't really give a fair shake because of just youthful ignorance and um i uh picked up the ps3 ico and um and uh, shadow colossus remaster played shadow of the colossus first and just absolutely loved it from start to finish just um really kind of devoured it tried to it was a different time period so i was i was kind of i was take, tackling the colossus the colossi excuse me and then but also kind of looking at into the kind of the secrets and some of the community response around you know the, the mystery of the game and and things that i had missed around the original release so i played through it and then uh when the 2018 version came out i was just like you ryan i pre-ordered that steelbook and i was really looking forward to coming to playing it again because i it was the first time i felt i could play it with a really fresh perspective because when i went to play the ps3 remaster i had a bad taste in my mouth for my initial experience, but the initial experience I had on the PlayStation 2 version wasn't exactly a fair and impartial viewpoint on it. So when uh, the PS4 version came out in 2018, I, I think I got it on a Friday and 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 after after a long weekend, I think uh, I, I pretty much had cane and rinsed most of it and 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 loved my time with it. All right, Jacob, how about you? Boy, uh, where to start? Once when I was about 13 years old, I had to go to the hospital because I was having some weird headaches and they had a PS2 in the room and and they were like hey we've got lots of games here do you have anything and I was like do you have Shadow of the Colossus because I had read about it in a recent issue of Game Informer and they did not um, but after leaving the hospital I bought a PS2 like used on Craigslist or something specifically so I could play that game and then and then of course I, I bought it again on the PS3 um, and and then I I, I lost my mind when I saw the trailer for it, uh, you know, this remake coming out. And now I kind of owe my 
career or side career to it because i, I was made... about to say and that's where the story ends <laughs> yeah yeah and so then i made a video on shadow of the colossus that has the three million views and counting and kind of uh launched launched me from hobbyist youtuber to slightly above a hobbyist youtuber now so this this game has always been enormously important to me. I mean, I've mentioned in previous uh, issues, I have the bridge uh, tattooed on my ribs. Um, like there's <laughs> there are a few games that have kind of influenced my life the way that Shadow of the Colossus has. Um, and I totally felt that way, you know, after after my original playthroughs and whatever. And so seeing this remake was you know, it felt kind of like a dream that I had of like, oh, God, what would it what would it look like if it was made today? And and so, yeah, I, I don't even know really where to start and where to end. But I've played through this game dozens of times and likely will dozens more. Absolutely. And Rich, how about you? OK, so firstly, thanks for making me go after uh, Jacob's <laughs> revelation there. I think um, for me, it's almost a very similar kind of enthusiasm for Shadow of the Colossus, albeit much more of a, a personal one. So much the same way as Brian in 2006, when it came out in European uh, area, I would have been just about to turn 20 years old. So I would have been in university at the time and studying a lot. And, and, I, and because of that, I just didn't play it at the time, but I did pick it up in 2008 um, on the PS2 and played through it pretty much to completion several times. And the ambition was always to get up the top of the, uh, the hidden garden. And I don't think I ever quite got there. The PS2 version in Europe obviously is like a paperback thing. It's beautiful and it's got some postcards and those postcards now I have signed by Fumiro Ure, thanks to, to Jay who met up with them in Japan and brought my postcards with him. I had the PS3 version of both Eco and uh, Shadow of the Colossus in the same way because it was one of those formative games for me that seems to have just resonated quite quite a lot throughout my ad adulthood. And um, I love both Eco and Shadow of the Colossus equally. My dog is named Yoda after the female character with in uh, Eco and uh, Mono, maybe not a, a very good name for a dog because that's, of course, the name of a disease. So in <laughs> 2018, uh, it was a foregone conclusion that I would always be picking this game up. Uh, luckily, it come, came out just before my birthday, so my wife actually made um, strides to pick that up as something that I got through and I've played through it. I don't know, across the, the three versions, probably somewhere in the region of 20 or 30 times. So let's give a brief overview of this game. Uh, this is a, a uh, let's call it a sort of a follow-on in a way of Eco, the, the team's previous game, although they are very different in the way that they play. Um, but there are some kind of linking elements, the uh, same kind of uh, look and feel of the world, of the architecture, of a lot of the um, kind of smaller aesthetic details. So when uh, when this game was in production and early in its kind of promotional phase, um, it was called Nico, which is a portmanteau of uh, Ni, the Japanese word for two, and Eco, uh, which actually uh, went on to influence the, uh, the third game in the series, was uh, called Trico for a while. And I believe the monster in The Last Guardian might still be called that or... Maybe it's just a fan You're, you're correct, but how dare you call it a monster? <laughs> well, <laughs> we've all played Undertale. We know that monster isn't necessarily a pejorative <laughs> <Sure>. term. <laughs> Let's go ahead and give a spoiler warning before we even get into the briefest details. Uh, I'm going to consider this to be a fairly 
light spoiler warning. There is some uh, plot stuff that kind of kicks up around the end, but I, I don't, I don't know. Maybe maybe it's just me, but um, this always felt like more of an experiential game than one that I was really uh, gripped by the story throughout. But you know, I think there's just kind of enough uh, aesthetic or, or story um, sprinklings throughout to uh, to keep that aspect intriguing and to make it all feel um, feel important when it comes to a head at the end. So. As you travel through this large open world, you are tasked with uh, slaying these multiple colossi. And um, that is, uh, the game is essentially, it boils down to 16 boss fights, essentially. And um, it's it was really, I guess, at least to my mind at the time, it was really singularly unique in what it was doing. It's not necessarily the first game that has been a boss fight only game. We can go back to, you know, Mike Tyson's punch out or whatever, if we want to really trace this lineage uh, further back. But it felt so different than anything else that was made, especially within the 3D space, especially at the scale of the world that they've created to not have little monsters and stuff that you're fighting along the way. Or there are some kind of platforming puzzles and and stuff like that but it's really light and it's really more about just kind of exploration navigation through the world finding your way to these enormous bosses climbing all over them taking them down and um that's all there is uh to it in a way but there's also so much more than that and so it's going to be a little bit tricky to unpack but um i i remember one of my first impressions of the game hearing about it was when I heard that there were just these kind of 16 fights and not a lot of other gameplay, I thought, you know, how long could this game possibly be? Is this something I'm going to fly through in an afternoon? Because I'm, you know, moderately good at video games. If, if you know, if it's just 16 enemies throughout the entire game that you're fighting, essentially, like how how big of a game could this possibly be? But, you know, I, I've never felt that this game was too short. I've never felt that. I mean, I would always love to fight more of these uh, majestic beasts, but I never felt like the game was lacking in content or value. So what was your, I guess, just a kind of quick pull of the room when you heard about this game and what it was doing, what was your first impression of like just its its mission statement of just being kind of like a boss fight back to back video game? I think like when I gave the game a fair shake on the the PS3 remaster, it's it's strange because you start the game and and you know at least I did when I started the game that you had these big colossus fights that you're going to. So I do the first the first colossus great. I get back, I get the instruction from uh, Dorman, I go into the next one, and then I I found by about about the fourth colossus i kind of like felt myself like pulling myself to a slow like slowing myself down being like wait a minute like what's this all about like why like why i i know the the central reason why wander why i'm doing it but why am i really doing this what what is this accomplishing for dorman what are we like what's what's kind of the motivation behind all of this and i found like the game itself and just the loneliness of those hor- of those rides the the loneliness of of moving from place to face place to place just 
slowed me down in such a way to where I really did kind of start to take it all in. And I, I'm sure this part of the designed experience, and I know I'm not the only person that had that experience, but like at first I had a, a feeling like you, Ryan, like I was just going to go boom, 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 knock it off, you know, get the next trophy, get the next trophy. When in reality, like once I started doing a few of these fights, I realized that it, it's so much less about the actual act of taking down the the Colossi, even though that's it's fun and it's and it's engaging and they're each their own puzzle in their own way. What started out to me where it felt like I was going to like checking off 16 boxes, like the game quickly becomes much, much more complicated than that. And that's like at first I had the same thought. But then once you kind of get into it, it's like, oh, this there is a lot going on here. Yeah, I think one of the reasons that the kind of lack of gameplay to put it really uncharitably is so striking is because this isn't you know like punch out is is a kind of is a good example of like a game where that's all it's set up to do you know that that of mm-hmm. course all you do is box because the the game takes place in a boxing ring but this has so many uh kind of superficial similarities to like the legend of zelda or something you know the idea of having a horse and a sword and a bow and a huge world like a huge open world with so many different areas and having all that be empty is just so interesting and and it feels you know it it feels like there is so much effort that's gone into making this an empty world rather than a kind of uh budgetary restriction or or whatever you know it feels like this was the intention was make you feel weird about being alone. And and I remember reading about that before ever picking it up and just thinking that that was such a unique thing for a game to be striving for. Um, and then and then totally experiencing that myself. And as you as you go from Colossus to Colossus, you are inevitably going to get lost because you can only get a kind of like as the crow flies direction in which you need to go. And so a lot of a lot of your time ends up being kind of like just being dwarfed by these enormous cliffs and and kind of trying to find your way in a world that feels totally empty and inhospitable. Yeah, and I think the game has a sort of contemplative pace about it. I think you start off with some initial colossus and they're very close to the proximity of the the um uh, I forgot what it's called, the central area. Somebody's going to have to help me there. The, the shrine, shrine of worship, ah, is yeah. it? So the, it's very close to the shrine. And as you sort of expand out and you progress through the game, it, you move further away and you experience a lot more of the land. I think one of the things that I picked up on in my initial playthrough was just how singular uh, Wanda's purpose was because the, the the sparseness and the lack of things to do, and I use that in inverted commas, suggests that Wanda's got one purpose and one focus only. And it sort of resonated with me as a, as a sort of gamer at the time to think like, okay, this is my task. This is what I need to do. And it's only when you actually divorce yourself from that sensation and start to think about what there there is to do that you actually start to think more about uh, some of the sort of duplicitous nature of Dorman and some of the things that he needs you to do in order for his own ends. Something that I think is is interesting about the remake that is a a real distinction from how I felt playing the the original is that they... They have made the different parts of the world feel more distinct. You know, there there's enough subtlety in just how they make rocks look or, do you know, kind of like the type of shrubbery that's around you that in mm-hmm. the remake, I found myself exploring more just kind of for the heck of it because I knew there wasn't anything out there. You know, I'm, I'm very familiar with the game at this point, but in the original 
the world is is empty not just by nature of kind of like there not being anything to do except to ride but also in that it is really just kind of flat textures of of rocks yeah. and and green and whatever you will we'll talk about later that i think that's that's a, a very valid decision for them to make you know even even if they had the capability to make it look like this game maybe they wouldn't have but in this everything is so lush that i really had a a what's over there feeling more than I did when playing the original. And that was something that surprised me because I Hmm. assumed that I would feel basically the same way while playing this one. I think that's a a great observation, actually. So one of the things that I picked up on playing the remake is that the the landscape itself, the sort of geography feels impossible to have sort of lush, verdant greenery right next to a desert in such short sort of proximity feels Mm -hmm. like it should never exist and can't naturally exist. And with the remake, you've obviously got the sort of like softer, the sort of softness of the sand kicking up and the dust that's kicking up from the two things that really kind of helps it feel a little bit more real than the original one did with those flat textures. So let's uh, let's talk about the story of the game. We've talked a little bit about what we do. So uh, some of the context around the the game, Uh, you play a character named Wander who enters the forbidden lands and of course this game has uh, very very little text or speech or anything like that a lot of this is just kind of implied through the way that characters are acting and interacting when there are at uh, the very 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 few instances where there are multiple people on screen you are uh, playing wander who is carrying the body of a dead woman into this temple in a forbidden area and we don't know why it's forbidden but presumably there's some sort of a some sort of an ancient power here something that they wanted to keep people away from and you place this body on an altar and you start conversing with the, the with the god of this temple named Norman who offers to uh, bring this woman back to life in exchange for slaying 16 guardian colossi scattered throughout the land and so you know, as you are kind of partaking on this quest, there's um, perhaps more and more incidental details that lead you to question your own actions, perhaps, or um, or perhaps reaffirm them, depending on the uh, on the perspective that you choose to take as a player experiencing the piece of art. There are some kind of revelations towards the end as people from the outside world come into this space um, but uh, for the most part just to kind of set the general context and uh, uh, for the the game um, it is a a game about trying to save a woman's life by making a deal with a god who uh, who knows whether or not we can trust yeah those gods are always trustworthy right they're they're reliable <laughs> you're just coming off of playing god of war so yeah. <laughs> certainly <laughs> yeah right <laughs> Now they um that I, that that whole scene of entering the shrine and 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 talking to Dormer for the first time getting your quest for lack of a better term incredibly striking and really memorable for not in, looking back at it now it's talking about the remake talking about the third version of this game not necessarily for the reasons that you would think like an initial quest line would be memorable like I I think about it in terms of like Legend of Zelda like you get to your first town and you you know you get your sword and shield and you set off like it's like this big you know it's kind of like this like this hopeful like start you know there's always a problem but you're like setting off on this adventure and it really does feel like the end of a journey from the start of this game like that like when 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 they get to that temple, I mean, it feels like like 
exhausted, moving slowly, like like all of the energy had been expended to get to this point. And then now here comes this heaping burden placed on Wander's shoulders like it. It feels like the end of a journey at the start. And I think that really sets the mood in such an interesting way, because and whether Wander and we can talk, we'll talk about loss and grief and all that stuff later. But it, it feels like at that point already, just by body language, because obviously they don't there's not not speaking parts from Wander besides aggro just by body language alone. It just feels like he he's already come this far and we didn't see that first leg of the journey obviously or the first three quarters of it but it just feels like he's already come so far and then now there's also this on top of it it just it feels like a burdened a burdened character right from the beginning and and i i don't know how how you do that i mean it's all of it together right but like it just it sets that tone in such a weird way like when you said starting on this adventure it, it like from the very outset there was not i wasn't ever hopeful about mono like i wasn't i, I never felt like things were going to work out great i think i think that point about you being at an the end of a journey when you get here is a really good one um it's hard for me to think of a game that has a more important cutscene that you skip by pressing start. Like, I don't know what you would call it, the kind of demo reel or whatever. <laughs> that is just is just so iconic of the kind of hawk flying and then zooming past him and whatever. And that's also, you know, for me was one of, I guess, because it's literally the first thing you see. But this game really kind of showing its graphical force you know that that that's something that we've all probably watched a dozen times with the previous games and so when you when you first see that hawk kind of flying in and you see the moon and the clouds like you have never seen before and he, he swoops past wander and i was shocked to see the first time that i played this remake that i had never kind of considered before that wander has mono on his horse the whole time that that he has made this long journey through forests and cliffs and 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 rain and everything with with a dead body that is that is kind of on Mm. his horse and just because you know the the way that i had been playing it the resolution was low enough the character detail was low enough i'm sure she was still there but i just didn't notice and so it is kind of striking that that even though it's exactly the same scene there is this new power that kind of reveals these little details um and and so yeah it made it made that initial journey that is just kind of implied by these few scenes feel all the more powerful one of the things that i like about the story on the whole is just the brevity of it there's just a confidence about what it is that it needs to do that you can pretty much outline exactly what happens in Shadow of the Colossus probably in about three sentences and it doesn't deviate from that too much throughout yeah. as a 33 nearly 34 year old man who really struggles to kind of take in story in this particular period of time in my life I really appreciate that kind of brevity that's there let's talk about the actual gameplay of uh, what you do throughout the game so there are two main uh, tasks, and we, we've mentioned this already. There's the Colossus fights, and then there is the exploration of the Forbidden Lands of uh, the world, uh, primarily on horseback. So let's um, kind of briefly go through these uh, Colossus fights, and um, we can talk about any experiences that really stood out to us and things that, um, things that we have to say about any of these in particular. Um, the first Colossus is named Valus. It is uh, the easiest of the lot. I, I call it kind of a tutorial 
in a way because it's uh it's very straightforward as to what you need to do it, it's stomping around it's making a, a big old racket out there but it's not that outwardly aggressive but it then it teaches you all about climbing all over the i guess we can call it hair or we can call it moss or whatever it is growing on the outside of these giant stone beings um but uh yeah it's um it's a an easier fight but it's one that i i think i find one of the more memorable fights because it's the first time that you're encountering one of these things it makes a, a very striking impression right off the bat the way that it's animated is just kind of a it's it's really on another level. It's it's so cool to see the the birds circling overhead and the 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 all the angles that you take as you climb all over this um, this colossus. It's it's really memorable. So it was I mean for as simple as the fight was relatively, uh, it's it's still one of my favorites. I also think this is the first time with respect to the 2018 Shadow of the Colossus. This is the first time in the game where I realized it was a remake, not just a remaster. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. we'll talk about the graphics and everything later. But when when I approached that Colossus and I was looking at him and or, you know, and, and just like but then the way that I was able to interact with it and the way that the moss was swaying and the way that just like you could see the individual textures in the rocks like interacting with each other when the knee would bend and when the arm would sway like like that's when like the true graphical power of this remake kind of came to form and i i just remember kind of uh being in awe i remember my wife laying on the couch watching me start the game because she had was unfamiliar with it just she was just kind of in in awe at this gigantic creature and she's like you're gonna fight that thing and i'm like yeah and she said completely unprompted not into video games at all she said but it's not even doing anything to you <laughs> and, mm. and which is which is we'll talk about i'm sure a lot later but yeah just like <laughs> just such a striking beginning but also just such an eye-popping high popping showcase of like hey this is a remake we've redone everything this thing is looks incredible yeah as a tutorial i think it works really well as well i think one of the first things that strikes me is that the first weak point is its heel and that kind of harks back to i don't know something like the 1963 jason the argonauts film with that huge bronze statue so it just feels like a natural place to go for a weakness i think that sort of theme seems to to work really well in that tutorial Something that this remake consistently did was I would I would think, oh, my gosh, look at that. It's it's so big. It's so crazy that I'm going to fight this. And then I would think, oh, my God, I did this on the PS2, (laughs) you know, that I think (laughs) I think it's kind of funny how this this game makes the original feel even more impressive because like there are maybe some dated gameplay interactions here. But largely, I feel like this feels pretty contemporary. And if there was a game that came out in 2018 that included sections where you were climbing up a giant monster, I would think, wow, isn't it amazing what modern consoles can do? And so Mm -hmm. even though the game frequently ran at like 15 frames per second and whatever, the fact that you had all of this and you had like the animations of you being flung around as it tried to shake you off on the PS2. You know, I I just this remake really made me appreciate even more how impressive the original was. Uh, Moving on to the second Colossus. This is Quadratus, which is a hooved beast um, that you fight in a dry lake bed, comes out of a cave and you have to shoot the underside of its feet with your arrows while uh typically on horseback i think you could probably fight it uh off of horseback as well but i i typically see myself and others fight it on horseback i think this one stands out for one being a 
huge difficulty leap over the previous one. Mm -hmm. It's still on the lower end of the Colossi overall, but I would say compared to the last one, positioning yourself in such a way that you can shoot the underside of its hooves for such a limited amount of time. uh, I think the aiming was improved as far as um you know this version versus the previous versions but yeah it's still even so it can be a little fiddly um to try to to hit it very precisely like that uh, and then also this colossus just looks so friendly it has like a big puppy dog face with uh just like big round eyes and just kind of like a friendly underbite on its jaw and it's just like it, it looks completely non-threatening and this is the point where i think if you weren't feeling guilty about killing that first colossus this one i think will probably push you over the edge a little bit (laughs) colossus number three is gaius Uh, it's a large kind of humanoid colossus that has a uh, sword-like extension of its arm that it clobbers you with and uh, you can run up that sword to to fight it up above kind of like a uh character from an anime fighting a giant mecha or something like that like this one this one feels cool in a way that the previous colossus like they they felt cool but this one is like how often do you get to run up a sword in a game that isn't like a platinum games game you know yeah this has got to be like the most iconic one i think if you look at like a lot of the mm-hmm. the advertising material that they used for this remake. I also have that steel book and this is the one on the steel book. And when you yeah. see promotional things and they also in the remake specifically, they really tweaked the lighting here. And so it is just like impossibly cinematic. You know, you have you have this kind of like sun behind clouds look. And so you're often kind of staring into the light at the same time that you're staring up at this because this is also maybe the tallest one um, apart from the the very last. Yeah, the the kind of like almost, you know, Evangelion-esque, like swinging these giant weapons and whatever. (laughs) Yeah, it does. I think this one, Gaius roughly translates to the warrior. And so it's like there aren't many that fight you but this one does and and as such you know and that it kind of mirrors your own lone swordsman status Mm. do you know this is like this is the game if you want to kind of prove that this game is cool to someone i feel like you show them this fight i when i played the ps3 version of this when i first got up there and cleared that little platforming section to get up there i remember just watching him walk around and then him telegraph that big arcing sword swing and i just watched it until it blew me right off the top of that thing you know what i mean like like it's just so impressive that wind up and bam you feeling that impact and just like like just being wholly intimidated and wondering how am i gonna how am i gonna even start this once you kind of figure out what to do with it's really not all that difficult of one but man would talk about just an imposing and striking figure that this colossus forms it's really uh it's it's really kind of tied in with the like jacob said all the marketing stuff for the game now this one is uh on top of a giant pedestal that kind of extends from uh, the lake and there's this big spiral path that uh runs around it and for some reason this one always reminded me of uh, of the King bob from that first level of Mario 64, especially if I get <laughs> kicked off of the platform and have to run up the spiral to get back to the top again. Uh, but uh, I'm not sure that was the intention. 
that spiral is a good opportunity, I think, to talk about the the maybe changed controls or not changed controls in this, because mm-hmm. one of one of the things that feels dated about it is you have to. So I should I should say this game gives kind of a modern control option, and I immediately switched it to the originals because I've just played those original like that original game so many times. And in the original controls, you have to keep holding the grip button as you jump backwards from one thing to another. And I I will constantly, this is kind of the moment where you forget and you'll, you'll try to jump to this platform and just fall down. And then it's like a five minute swim back or something. So Mm. did, did y'all use the new controls or did they, did they change that sort of thing? I used it. I don't remember specifically this area and whether it was changed from the original, but I, I tend to like the new controls. I, I, they're not, hugely game changers i would say yeah i just think it was a little bit more forgiving with like the window on where you could kind of let go of the grip button between jumps things like that there still was a grip button i mean Mm -hmm. you ended up with a bit of you ended up with a bit of the claw hand sometimes after you'd be you know on a long particularly long fight you know where your your knuckles would be a little bit sore but i just i feel like and it's hard for me to remember because it's just the the most recent one you know that i played um but it did feel like just it was just had a little bit more gap to where you were it was just less punishing i guess is the word i'm looking for yeah the next colossus is is, uh, these are all, let's say, puzzle bosses as opposed to more kind of execution type of bosses like you would get in a Dark Souls or a Monster Hunter, although there are definitely puzzly elements to those as well. But this is the first of the bosses that feels significantly more puzzly than the rest of them. This is uh, Phaedra, who is um, one of the first things you'll notice about Phaedra. It kind of walks around like a horse or something like that, but it has these these narrow spindly legs that kind of come down to a point and so where previously you know climbing up legs was something that you were kind of accustomed to doing uh these legs there's just no kind of getting up them they're uh, completely impassable and so you have to find another way of luring a more vulnerable body part towards your range or area so you you can uh, trick this one by hiding inside of a hill in a little hobbit house and it will come and look for you and then you can uh, jump out and grab on to the little kind of danglies on its head and uh, you can climb up that way but it's um you know this one i think can take a little bit of time to figure out and it can be a little bit fiddly as far as whether or not it actually triggers it looking into the holes that you need to um you know i, I always have trouble when i go back to this one actually getting it to behave in the way that i want it to also, Ryan, did you know that you're using the more risky way of getting up on its head? Um, because, oh, really? <laughs> yeah, that's not I mean, it is a totally valid way of doing it. And, and I you know did that in my most recent playthrough. But I think the more intended way is when it's looking down, you actually run because all of those like hills are interconnected so you can run mm. around and then climb up its back which is a very well, that's right clear, yeah, I remember that as well you know thing and so it is you know it's another one of there's a surprising amount of of um different ways that you can do things with some of these um and so yeah there's there's a safer version and then especially when you're doing the time attack or something there's the kind of more expedient one 
One thing I like about the Phaedra fight is it starts off with music that is not hostile. It doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. sort of engender anything that you're under threat. It's just this kind of lilting music that kind of exists within the meadow that you're fighting it in with. So there's this real sense of guilt for the first time and actually taking this Colossus on in particular, certainly for me. This is one of the more beautiful arenas. It's mm-hmm. it's lush in a way that the previous ones weren't. Um, it's really uh, really nice to look at. Um, also on that on that music note, we should say just for for people who haven't played it, um, this does. It, it's funny that I would say it's the Dark Souls thing because in fact Dark Souls does the Shadow of the Colossus thing, where yeah. <laughs> there is no music out in the world. That that when you're riding, it's just you and the kind of sounds of the horse and the wind, and the music only kicks in when you get to these big bosses, and so it, it kind of. It underlines the the different parts of the gameplay. Yeah, and if you're playing it like me, the constant screaming for aggro to follow you. <laughs> yeah, that too. <laughs> <laughs> the next Colossus is one of the more memorable ones, I would say. I'm going to keep saying that over and over again, probably <laughs> with yeah. each Colossus. <laughs> but uh, this is um, Avian, which is a bird that you fight above a lake. Uh, it's It's really interesting because there are just these little bits of... Uh, these kind of ruined temples that are sticking out of the lake that you have to kind of swim to and catch on to because you're very vulnerable in the water. There's really nothing that you can do in the water and you move fairly slowly while you're swimming. And this, this bird is, you know, flying around, swooping down and trying to, you know, trying to hit you uh, with its uh, swooping attacks, but standing on top of one of those temples, jumping right as it's swooping at you and grabbing on to the, the, leafy moss on its wings right when it's uh approaching is is really exciting and then the first time that it pulls you up into the air is just like it's like nothing else that you've experienced because there's there's a certain sense of um of fragility that this game imparts upon you it's certainly not a god of war even though you are climbing all over you know enormous monsters it feels within that very specific context it feels very grounded and you feel like if you were to take a fall from a a height that a normal person would not appreciate falling from your character is going to stumble is going to get hurt you know and so being pulled into the air is uh is terrifying in a way that it usually isn't in video games especially over water because in video games if you fall into water you're usually fine in this one i guess you are too but it's just like it's a different feeling you know it's mm-hmm. it's not the way that you've been conditioned not the type of thing you've been conditioned to expect the game this far it's that thing where you first grab on to avion and then she does that first big flap to get up in the air and you just realize how small wander is on her and like and how that <laughs> like the, the way that just shakes wander like back in the end like you're going basically from being you know like almost upside down to then then she propels herself in the air and it just has that frenetic feeling of how the hell am i going to get out of this how you know where what's my next move like how what can i even move without her just shaking me off and it's um yeah definitely one of those striking fights for sure it feels i mean the the animation on all of these is so strong but this the specific moment where she is you know 50 feet away from you and then you have to jump and grab it feels like like it feels like you're about to get hit by a train and and, but you're just kind of trying to grab onto the front of the train they really convey the sense of like speed and power in this fight it's just it's just awesome yeah and and avian is a 
is a colossus that is not hostile as well. It, it doesn't attack you until you attack it. Mm-hmm. So you have to yeah. launch an arrow at it from a distance. And there's that moment of like, oh God, here we go. When it just sort of turns and swoops towards you. The next colossus is named Barba. Demand from the forum says, I just want to take the time to say that this game gave me one of the most memorable Eureka moments in all my gaming years. The sixth Colossus specifically, I was really thrown off by his aggressive nature. Unsure of what to do, I decided to hide behind a pillar and try to catch my breath. And then he leaned down. What a beautiful way of setting up that encounter, especially since that's one of the three-ish that plays revived power when you figure out the solution. Absolute majesty. Eco HD win. And that's that's one of the things I love about this game in particular is that like when you're having the hardest time is when you instinctually do usually the thing that the game wants you to do in the first place. And so it it kind of drives you to think in a way of um, of, of being kind of a, a desperate survivor against these uh, impossible odds. And uh, this one uh, just being kind of a, a bearded. Uh, kind of a dwarven uh, build creature is um, is really striking and really memorable in that way. Yeah, there's there's kind of a spectrum of intelligence that these seem to have, where some seem more or less like an animal, and then some you know kind of have have a survival instinct or something. And and it is kind of eerie to see this one looking for you in that way it, it, it's mm, a very yeah. it's a very weird moment especially after you've been fighting you know several ones that have been basically animals do you know and so the question of like what are these things it is it's a this is kind of a highlight of that that line of thought yeah so baba is one of the like most anthropomorphic of the Colossus as well and exerts an intelligence that you wouldn't normally see. So he's also got a weapon and the way he moves is most human-like. I like this Colossus the best. I happen to like just climbing up his beard. I think there's something quite kind of roll <laughs> doll-esque about having to take this one on. Yeah. <laughs> Next is Hydrus, which is a underwater beast. Uh, this is, uh, I, I believe, the first underwater fight. And um, this one is quite harrowing. There's some uh, electrified elements and it's always kind of uh, bobbing up and down from the the water to the surface, which can be really disorienting if you're trying to hold on. And and when you're getting dragged underwater because you just refuse to let go, it's um, that can be kind of terrifying as well in a fear of drowning instinctual kind of way. It just goes for me in my general kind of very very uh dismissive rule that underwater and water-based enemies are the worst in video games <laughs> um <laughs> i i really struggle with hydras i still do um and when revisiting this game to prepare for the podcast it's just one of those fights that does like it, it to me and i think it's just because it's probably it's definitely my fault uh and i know that because of my my less less than graceful controls but it just i don't have a lot of fun or that doesn't feel like i'm ever truly in control of when i'm going to be able mm-hmm. to get on hydras when i'm be able to to, to to get to the weak points to, to be able to take it out but I, I realize that that has more to do with me than it does to do with the fight it just um it's it's probably the only one on this list that i can i can honestly say that when i'm done i'm just glad to have that in my rear view 
as opposed to some of the other ones where... Yeah, you, you made the exact same point that I would make, and I think it's because he's underwater, and there's no discernible kind of landmarks when you're looking down at the water to be able yeah. to get a mm-hmm. sense of depth perception as to where he's going to come up. The only thing you can really use is the electricity-type attacks that are on the surface, and the amount of times I've just whiffed the grab and yeah. end up having to yeah. do three or four cycles to do something which probably should only take us one or two. It's really not frustrating, but it's just not the strongest of the, the Colossus, in my opinion. Next one is Kuromori, the eighth Colossus, which you fight in a large, uh, very tall coliseum in a way that's open towards the center and with uh, kind of hallways that encircle the entire thing from the outside. And it climbs on the walls of this coliseum, and basically you are in the uh, the audience, I guess, the hallways. It climbs around the walls like a gecko. You try to basically circle back behind where it's uh, perched on to to try to get it to fall off. And then you can attack it when it's on the ground. Um, this one, I always uh, it's always so exciting because it, it, it could be a little bit difficult to uh, get it off the wall. It's always so exciting when it falls that I'm always tempted to just jump down after it and land on it sword first but that's just not the way that this game works you have to kind of take the stairs on the way down and and sometimes if i get a little over eager then i end up wasting all my time just kind of ragdolling on the ground next to it anyways oh it is it is interesting though that there is this kind of like uh, balance where the the higher up it is when you shoot it the longer it's stunned on the ground so mm. so you have to you can't just kind of wait till oh, it's an right? inch that makes sense yeah and then and then make it fall but the higher up it is usually it goes up to follow you and so then you have to run up all these stairs and yeah and then there <laughs> is this kind of calculation of like could i survive if I jump down, because if you hit it at the very top and then you get down very quickly, you can totally one cycle this thing like it it doesn't have a chance to get up again. But that's a scary jump to take. <laughs> yeah. And and if you jump and land on the um, the fairy underbelly of the, the Colossus as well, you can land safely. I don't want to move away from this Colossus without exploring a little bit of the area before you get here. It's one of the most beautiful areas in the game in my opinion there's a sort of like i don't know like a a a sort of cove with um a river or a stream or just natural running water next to it in this beautiful meadow with flowers and lush grass everywhere yeah it is the way the way that this remake specifically highlights that kind of interplay of light and shadow like there are a lot of kind of almost caverns that you're in where the light is coming in from just like one specific point in the ceiling and and it is oh it's a looker um it is really really pretty if we could take a moment to talk about the graphics just for a second here because um i feel like this is becoming one of my one of my own cane and rinse cliches now but like this was another moment and i probably had maybe seven or eight of these maybe more than that over the course of like just playing video games where do you think to yourself even though you know you're wrong like are games ever going to look any better than this is it ever going to look better than this you know and like it's of course they are and we're going to progress it would now progress and and everything but you still have that moment like there's some moments in this game i specifically remember one i took about a dozen screenshots of it you're just looking at at the river flowing underneath the bridge 
and you're just looking at the way the water is interacting and kind of swirling and naturally going and like and this is just on the way to nowhere you know you're, you're not going there to do anything it's just this beautifully crafted environment that just continually surprises you and you go in these forests and then the way the light interacts like jacob just said it just it, it has these moments that you just cannot quantify without experiencing them and it's just like like holy cow man i mean like yeah. like it's it's a technical achievement on so many levels and 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 it's one of those feelings that you know you chase right you know we're always looking for that next game that's going to make us think oh my god like like this is just the best anything's ever looked and and i and i stopped so many times with this game just take a couple extra screenshots just look around and just appreciate being in that environment it's just it's something's just so special for me this game best photo mode hands down it is absolutely my favorite and maybe it's because it's just so quick to get to because it's literally just down on the d-pad and it and it snaps right into it or maybe it's the amount of control where you can really change the field of view and the and the depth of field and and all this kind of stuff but like i am not really a photo mode user in most games but i have albums full of this game um and also it has really i I think filters on kind of the look are usually pretty uh cheesy but this game has filters there's one that's like a night mode that is really striking that that makes it you know basically it's it's just kind of darker and and the the blacks are richer but it seems like you were doing everything illuminated by like a really bright moon instead of yeah. The it gives sun. it it gives it that glow. Yeah, and it gives it like it's not just like making everything darker. Yeah, it's awesome. It's just yeah. I mean I played through hours of this game with the night mode on just because it felt so different and genuine. You know, it didn't it didn't feel like it was a tacked on thing. It felt like this is a legit different way of experiencing the game. Let's move on to Bazaran. This is one that you have to lure over geysers shooting out of the ground. It's kind of a turtley type of creature, and uh, you can flip it onto its back where it becomes uh, fairly helpless for a little while at that point. And boy, this one, uh, this one could be a little bit tricky to get it positioned exactly where you want it to be, but it's uh, another one of those solutions. It has some sort of silly moments, just like watching it kind of you know, holding on and flopping in the air with the guys who are pushing it up from underneath. But man, what a, what a fight. <laughs> yeah. I always forget about this one whenever I go back and play and try and visualize all of them. And uh, I really like, re- as soon as I remember, I'm like, yeah, thank God this uh, Colossus exists. There's just something so cool about the way that it just sort of like, almost like mortar cannons you with laser beams from a distance while you're trying to sprint away from it from, with aggro and, and get underneath some of these gases to sort of expose its weak underbelly, as is usually the case. The next one is um, is called the Dirge. It is a sand snake, uh, similar to uh, the Hydrus before. It kind of spends a lot of time underground chasing after you. This one, I would say, is probably the first of the Colossi that I felt like I had kind of fought in other games before. And uh, I'm sure those are games that have developed since then, but... This idea of uh, something underground poking its head up and you having to run away from it while shooting back at it or, you know, that kind of thing. I, I felt like I'd seen before in like Darksiders or something like that, which, you know, can't blame this game for anything that came afterwards. But uh, I would say it was less immediately striking than uh, the ones that had come before. 
One thing that I like about this one is it's the first that really asks you to be able to ride a horse well, that, mm-hmm. that you cannot do this on foot. And, and so you have to be riding in one direction while you aim in another direction. And so for me, it's really it's one of the more cinematic ones because you're just trusting that aggro is is going the right direction and then you have to wheel all the way around to to shoot backwards at its eye and so i really i mean now i can can do that pretty quickly but i really love that moment of kind of like staring this thing down that's right on your heels mm. i don't know if this is an opinion that's shared by the other guys but um i just think this one's so daft i really do like when its <laughs> eyes sort of like peek up above the sand and you can see it it's like hey guys and you're like oh god okay yeah just shoot it get this one out of the way <laughs> It does. It is. It is funny that it just like the solution is just run it into a wall. <laughs> Next is is Celosia, which is a uh, another one of the smaller colossi, but this one is uh, very unique in that you have to use a torch to scare it into falling out of the room that is perched in. And that fall will break its armor, and at that point, it becomes a fair fight. But you know, this is uh, I believe the first or only colossus that you really have to use an item like this to uh to you know change the uh the the fight and you really feel like you're on an equal playing field because you have that uh fire on your side yeah this is probably my my favorite of the colossus to fight colossus to fight because um i remember the first time i went through i really felt like this pig was very mad at me like very mad at me and i didn't know like i knew exactly what i I, and i knew exactly why it was mad at me like i had been taking out all these other colossi on the way and i had already kind of felt the gravity of my actions and this was like one where and it has a really interesting turn psychologically where you know you're running and you're afraid of this creature and then you grab that fire and then you you watch it turn to be coming scared of you like and that mm-hmm. kind of power you have as you're waving that fire and it's backing up and backing up and backing up like it like it's one of those things that you just like you start to realize a little bit of the control that you have over this creature and i i just i empathize with it um i i i empathize and sympathize with the creature because i, I did feel bad for it as i was taking it out mm-hmm. while also knowing why it was so angry at me um but it really it has also has that feeling too when you kind of get down into that canyon into that cavern that you're really truly imposing on its lair you know you're you're treading in in territory that is specifically not yours and that's that's what i really like about this one i i i i really kind of took my time a couple days ago redoing this fight just because i just wanted to kind of take it all in because i feel like the atmosphere really does feel like i'm like an unwanted visitor in, in that temple next is is pelagia and of course this is uh i'm, I'm taking a wild guess on the pronunciation there on all of these. So cut me some slack in the comments. Thank you. (laughs) But uh, this one is uh, in the water. You're kind of, there are several uh, kind of half submerged temples that you can uh, climb on and, uh, and and jump to this creature. It has a, uh, a very strange kind of magical looking crown, but I don't really, uh, I don't really have that strong of uh, memories or feelings about this one in particular. This one highlights some of the uh, pretty subtle but noticeable gameplay changes between the original and and the remake, which is that you have to swim kind of around this thing. You have to get to its back before you can climb up to it. It's just easier in the remake, and I'm not sure exactly what's changed, but like 
I have memories in the original of just trying for ages, like just just let me circle around and then it would keep turning. And so you couldn't get it. And and this I just kind of get it first try every time. And so I think there have been several little tweaks where the way that you do something hasn't changed, but the ease of doing it once you know the solution is better. And so this one, this one's just pretty noticeable for me in that, you know, it's just a little more playable than the PS2 and significantly more playable than the PS3 because the PS3 kind of has a lot of jank, I think, because it's running at 60. Mm. Next is one of my favorites. This is Phalanx, which is a another kind of snaky type of creature that um, you you encounter in the desert and it can fly this time and boy is it cool just to yeah. to get up on the back of this thing while it's in the air and uh and to be kind of climbing along this impossibly long beast it's probably one of the bigger ones uh or or maybe the oh, biggest it's, it's the biggest by far it's yeah. it's twice as big <laughs> as the next one yeah and this one is in my mind just unquestionably the best one <laughs> you know that this is it, yeah. it's everything that's good about the game because it is absolutely not aggressive and it doesn't even have a way to attack you and so to bring it down you're already doing this really kind of cruel feeling thing of like kind of popping its air sacs while it flies and then and then you have to run alongside it on your horse and jump onto the the wings and the wings go up i mean it's like yeah, <laughs> everything that I like about this game, both in kind of scale and kind of tone, are just encapsulated by this one fight. My only ask is that I think hmm, this is probably a bit of a subjective opinion. It doesn't appear to have as much personality as any of the rest of them because it has no way to defend itself. It doesn't seem to even have a way of interacting with you beyond diving down into the uh, the sand once more, closing those... Um, I don't know, things that are on its back. Um, I just wish there was a way that it could kind of elicit some more of a response to to wonder than what we get. Fourteenth Colossus is Cenobia. This one I feel is a little bit of a retread. It feels familiar. It feels kind of like a a, a brother or sister to Celosia before. Mm-hmm. It's another kind of angry pig that's uh, coming at you. Yeah, so I, I always kind of, in my memory, I kind of get the two of them mixed up from uh, the latter portion of the first one's fight to the uh, duration of this one's fight. The arena that you fight in is pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's one of the first, like, oh, not one of the first, is it? but like Cenobia uh, and then followed by Argus, like there really is environmental. Well, I guess um, Pelagia did too with the with the towers around, but um yeah, it's uh, like scaling those kind of pillars and, and having it knock you onto the next path and kind of it, it becomes less about fighting the classes and more kind of getting it to take the path you need it to take to kind of knock these stone pillars mm-hmm. over. So yeah, it's a little bit different in that in that uh, respect, but it did kind of feel um, video gamey, which is not a bad thing, but kind of in mm-hmm. that context, it just did kind of feel like I know looking at this arena, I know what I have to get this thing to do in order for me to take it out. Uh, moving on to 15 Argus. This is another. Uh, kind of sword wielding humanoid type of uh, creature. I don't have much to say about this fight, but I do think it's one of my favorite um, places that you fight it. And another thing that that just kind of the the verisimilitude of the remake has let me appreciate is is just kind of wondering like what the hell was this place? You know, you you fight him in this thing that 
it's just the col- there are columns that are so tall and there are these kind of like bridges over the top and 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 just constantly running through my head is like is this built for a colossus or or you know was there stuff here were there people living here that then left and it offers you just enough to kind of like set all those thoughts racing without giving you any kind of answer to any of them but i really really love the kind of run up to this one you go up a giant set of stairs mm. that almost look like uh, like the stairs in Anne orlando and dark souls like it really just kind of poses so many questions it is an interesting arena it has a feeling of being kind of like a dam or being like a uh, football arena with like space for the audience mm-hmm. on either side and it is just like there are like five or six things that this could conceivably be <laughs> anyways let's get to the final boss now the 16th colossus is malus who uh, I think is uh, tends to be a fan favorite, right? Am I uh, am I remembering that correctly? <laughs> Look, I'll defend this one. So you guys, you guys talk about how it's bad first, and then I'll come. I in. really don't mind it. Actually, I I had a hard time with it on the PS3 version, and I'm not sure whether that's because it was just more difficult with the uh, slightly clumsier controls back then, or whether it was just me knowing what to do in this version made it a lot smoother of a run. This one feels a lot more cinematic and uh and grand and and very god of war um it it feels like something straight out of uh, god of war ascension and um yeah it does it's 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 a stormy rainy night you're kind of approaching it uh winding through trenches kind of like a world war one trench fighter type of thing while it's shooting lasers at you and then you climb on it and it has these uh these very kind of cinematic attacks as you have to kind of jump between hands and stuff to avoid getting and splattered and there's all these i mean it's a very elaborate fight it's a lot more elaborate than the previous fights it feels a little bit more showy and a lot less a lot less exploration it's a lot more kind of like there is a very clear and defined path that you need to um to beat this one so it feels a little bit more executional a little bit less thoughtful but um well, it, it is still yeah, it's interesting. interesting that you made that observation actually because um one of the things that i would say is and i'm pretty sure jacob could speak to this a little bit more eloquently than i could is um when you're doing the time attack on this there is a like a defined pathway that it wants you to take but there's an absolute ton of shortcuts that you can sort of leverage mm. to be able to get up there quicker and actually shave a lot of time off that yeah, there's a version of it feels like the Star Wars, you know, trench run or whatever, where like there is a perfect path where you don't have to go into any of those trenches and you can just run straight to it. But it's like a millimeter <laughs> off and you'll just get, you know, blasted away. So it's only a thing mm. that you kind of see in speed runs. Um, it's very cool. Uh, what I like about this one and i really do like this one is you know i i talked earlier about kind of some feeling more or less intelligent this is the only one that feels like it contemplates you you know that that when mm-hmm. you get when you get to the final you're kind of you you climb up its back and then you jump to one hand and then you jump to another hand and you have to kind of stab that hand to get it to hold you level and when you do that, it just kind of looks at you and it doesn't it doesn't immediately try to shake you off or anything. And it's it's this really kind of like, you know, I, I saw a post on I think it was the Shadow of the Colossus subreddit talking about how it can see and you can see from its head all of the points of light which represent all of the other 
colossi that have been killed. And so if you kind of think about it from its perspective, it has watched its brethren die like one by one. And and it, you know, probably knew that you were coming to do this. Um, and so just the kind of like none of that is said or or even really highlighted, but it is there and kind of thinking about it in that way and then finally kind of getting on its head and killing it is a really emotional ending to to these fights which usually already have pretty emotional endings i will say i don't like the weather during this fight and not just because it looks a little miserable but because it just feels a little bit on the nose you know but i mean have you seen the way the lightning lights up these raindrops in the remake because it is this is this is a time that I just took a bunch of pictures, and I think that is a t- totally <laughs> legit point in terms of tone, but just in terms of the game being pretty, who boy. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Bluepoint did say that they were sort of lamented that they couldn't put more rain into this particular section of mine, so maybe... Uh... Yeah, I would, I would love to see if you could kind of like put a filter on things that made it rain or something. Like, you know, you know everything would look hmm. so good if like the, the rocks were slicked with rainwater and stuff. It does beg the question, what would this be like if you were playing in brilliant sunlight? Yeah, that would change the yeah, feeling right, so much. Yeah. But anyways, that takes us through the Colossi... Uh, let's get to the other portion of the gameplay and then we can kind of talk about some of the uh, other details that are perhaps more relevant to the remake specifically. First, I wanted to kind of take a couple minutes at least to talk about some of the other things that we'd be doing throughout the game. Uh, the overworld exploration we've touched on, the the feeling that it gives us, but a couple of the things that are specific to the overworld are the save shrines that you come across, um, places where you can save your game. Uh, which always feel like a bit of an oasis in the desert. Um, sometimes literally it's, it's um, always kind of nice to see those because often they would be paired with white tailed lizards, which I have uh, kind of mixed feelings about. I like that they are, um, they are collectibles that you use to um, basically improve your character in a standard kind of RPG leveling up with the right equipment type of way. But um you know, they improve your grip, whereas fruit improves your health. And both of those are subtle enough that if you didn't know to look for them, you would go through the entire game without ever realizing that they're there. And so it feels it feels like a collectible that doesn't feel like a collectible. You know, it, it doesn't break the the reality of the world that it's trying to build in a very video gamey way while still including a video gamey mechanic that is uh you know optional for those who want it there you know it's not a not a spinning heart container like you would get in a zelda game it is just a a lizard who happens to have a white tail but it can be a real pain to to find if you know if you've seen one or two of them there's often you know two of them on each save shrine you've seen them kind of you know running around the outside of this of this shrine it could be really tricky to like flush it out of the place where it's currently hiding or to get just the right angle on it to uh to shoot it with an arrow without it scurrying away but i i tend to overall enjoy hunting these things how do how do you all feel about the fruit and the white tail lizards yeah i like i like finding the lizards or at least 
I know that they're there, and so I feel like I should. In the in the recent playthrough, <laughs> um, I, which I was doing with the time attack things, it is much easier to hunt them when you have the bomb arrows because then <laughs> you can hit anywhere near them. <laughs> but I was also kind of surprised to see you get you get a map with the locations of all the lizards, and there are way more than you would think because there's there's mm-hmm. one around every shrine, but there's also a lot just kind of in the world. And yeah, I, I felt like I never really ran across those, but I would look at my map and it'd be like, hey, there's a lizard like right here somewhere. Um, so yeah, if you if you wanted to, I think you could spend a very long time hunting all of these things down. So on every version of this game, uh, my initial playthrough pretty much will always be, oh, save shrine, let's find the lizard, usually to my own frustration, like really, really annoying because it's pretty difficult to do, and especially in the earlier versions where the control of the um, uh, arrows or the harpoon, depending on whatever you're using, is just Mm -hmm. awful. Uh, I would much rather just play through the entire game because, of course, the other way to get grip is to defeat the Colossus. It took me a long time in the first game not only to uh, realize that these collectibles were there but also to realize that i could uh i could charge my sword strike i beat the first few colossus with just just pricking it with the oh, with the little toothpick of a sword without oh, charging Jesus. it up so that was okay. uh, that w- that made a significant difference in how much i was enjoying the game when i learned that i could charge it <laughs> let's move on to uh some of the graphics technology the art around this game so we've talked about it throughout but i just wanted to kind of open the floor to see if there were any more details in the uh, aesthetic presentation that uh, really stood out to you about this one and then we can talk about some of the differences between the versions yeah so straight off the bat the ui is uh, significantly Mm -hmm. better in the 2018 Mm -hmm. version than it was in the previous versions like there's a really invasive grip meter in uh both the 2006 and the 2013 version i forgot when it was excuse me that um expands to like this enormous proportion when you've collected enough white tails or or enough colossus and it, it, it yeah, it's just, it's not a very elegant solution, but separately you can also take away certain components of the UI to make it a much more cinematic experience. Yeah, uh, I will say the biggest change, the most noticeable change, and the one that kind of makes makes me miss the original the most because because I mostly think that this is a a beautiful and worthy follow up. But in the original, they faked HDR by by having this like really intense lighting built in in some spaces of the world and so like when you when you kind of went um south from the shrine of worship and got into the the part of the world where like the final colossus is and stuff you would be absolutely blinded for like seconds at a time because of just how bright the sky would get and what it was simulating was kind of like you coming out of the canyon where it's been dark and now it's bright again and and it was this really kind of like hyperbolized effect but it 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 made the world feel really kind of uh, intense and alien in a way um and if you play something like the last guardian you can see that that is still ueda's style that he deals with light in this just kind of like overpowering way and this game has a much more natural take on light which means that you don't really get those moments anymore and so while i love you know, I, I love the texture detail and I love all the little furs and everything that you can see. The The way that light's been handled in this, where it's a more realistic version, does make me, it's make me a little sad. I kind of miss it. 
Yeah, that's one of the things really noticeable about going back to the PlayStation 2 version is just how extreme the bloom is on everything. I think it's a good time to get into some of the differing perceptions that people had when this game was brand new. And while I think this game will be uh, remembered well, uh, this remake will be remembered well, I, I think at the time of launch, at least my perception of the conversation around it tended to skew a little bit more negatively than I was expecting. But I think that's just because people who were expecting it to be really good were just, you know, were satisfied with it being a a very good remake of Shadow of the Colossus. Shadow of the Colossus is still a magnificent game and it still plays beautifully and it still is an incredible experience. It was exactly what they're looking for. But those who were a little bit disappointed with the uh, differences had a little bit more of a story, so to say. You know, they 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 had something more to say than just it was what I was expecting. It's prettier. I like it. You know, it was uh, it feels like it's easier to elaborate upon the ways in which a remake uh, may have fallen short since it does tend to ride so closely to the original vision of the game. And so uh, w- while I can't even begin to estimate the overall kind of proportion of people who really uh, were pleased by the game versus those who were put off by the differences, and I'm sure even within the same person, there are those conflicting uh, emotions among uh, <laughs> yeah, all players. Tell me about but, it. You know, I think there was at the time of launch a uh, unavoidable wave of skepticism uh, from among the community. Yeah, I mean, I, our, our own Joshua Garrity, I know, has has not played this game and doesn't intend to. And, and he adores the original. And, and I think that's I think that's totally fair. And I think that there is there is no way that this could have been remade in a way that would be kind of I, I don't want to say satisfying because that makes it sound like these people are kind of complaining in an unfair way. But like the. The question is just like, is low detail sometimes better? And and that is a question that you can only kind of argue yes on. I feel like if you had the experience with the original, um, that, that no one who was born in 2005, there, there may be someone, but I think that like, if this is the first version of Shadow of the Colossus that you play, those questions aren't even going to enter your mind. Um, but when when you have this kind of memory of what it was, any change really is changing the original tone of what that was. Um, and so, you know, I think I think it's great that we have the PS3 one, too, because that is a kind of prettier mm-hmm. version of exactly the same game. And I think that was one of the main talking points was that because that previous remaster was still so recent, uh, this felt unnecessary in a way. There are so many other games that are uh, brilliant masterpieces that kind of languish in obscurity or are unplayable by modern standards, this and that, that, you know, why go back to a game that we have such a uh, such a grand remaster of on uh, just a few years back? You know, I'm not sure if I have uh, necessarily an answer for that, but I really don't begrudge uh blue point this this decision i i love the remake and i feel like if i go back in the future like i'm probably going to continue playing this version without you know no disrespect to the original but it's just like this is such a nice version to look at and a nice version to play and experience that like more shadow of the classes is fine by me yeah you know i i don't know 
So, so the question that I ask myself is, am I as wed to the visual identity of the PS2 and PS3 version, or, or to what extent is that going to impede my ability to enjoy this game? And I'm not sure I was ever attached to it in a way that was going to sort of denigrate the experience that I'm having at the moment. And I think in having these conversations, I've had to ask myself, do I, a game that I've played like 10, 15 times, have I ever really inspected it in that much detail? And, and ultimately, it just came to the conclusion that I don't think it suffers at all for for like having a, a much more sort of intricate, detailed um, aesthetic. And this is just my personal opinion. Um, it's less about capturing the the visual identity and more about capturing the feeling of it. Mm-hmm. And if, if it feels like how you felt when you played the original or whatever your first interaction was with the game then then in some form it's success but i also understand not wanting anything to be changed about the original because you feel so strongly about that like it's a it's kind of a it's kind of a a a pickle to be in um when critiquing a remake of this fashion but the unfortunate reality is is it was probably a money-based decision that where they looked at and said hey this is a wildly popular game that is in need of some modernization and ui and, and controls and other things so we think we can make a great version of it while also making one that will sell millions of copies so that was that probably entered into the conversation a lot more than any of us would like to admit but and i think there's an element of prestige about that as well because when you listen to the interviews of blue point they're always kind of plugging whatever it is that they're doing next and and trying to make sure that you're well aware that what what they're doing next is something that you're going to really enjoy Uh, can i read this this quote by gareth because it's it is one of Mm -hmm. my favorites um so gareth damian martin who is a a writer about kind of virtual architecture and whatever said for Eurogamer. I'd go so far to say that this difference is not just a difference of fidelity, but a difference of language. To me, it's like comparing the landscapes of the writer Mervyn Peake, nascent and obscure as they are, to the near-scientific detailing of a writer like Cormac McCarthy. That's the strange thing about fidelity, that ultimately it undoes what it seeks to represent. The more that is described, the more that is defined about an image, the more settled it is. If everything is cleanly detailed, fully visible, and in its proper, well-composed place, then what space is there for us to inhabit? I don't know if I fully agree with that, but I think it is a absolutely beautiful way of kind of conveying what people who are more attached to the original than this remake are getting at. And and I think that it's a, a difference of language is a really kind of beautiful way of putting it. This is a conversation that we see come up in the horror game space a lot as well of uh, older horror games that are limited by the by the hardware that they were produced on having more ambiguous shapes for enemies and stuff like that uh not always translating to being quite as scary when they are when the series continues into hd but i think that there is a uh especially with horror with more kind of psychological stuff there is a benefit to things being a little bit more interpretive and a little bit less clear and a little bit more obscure and that's why you know so many modern horror games are viewed through the lens of a camcorder or you know, have some sort of a VHS filter over the top of them to make them feel older and to make them feel more, you know, like a damaged videotape, something like that. And I guess there's an argument where this game, the original game does take a somewhat interpretive approach with, with lighting, especially, but just the, the overall composition of the world that maybe would have translated a little bit more one-to-one if it if the remake ended up pursuing a more interpretive style or a more painterly style, maybe like Skyward Sword or something like that. But, um, you know, I, I think 
going back to the original, there's a certain extent to where I, I do love what they're doing with colors and I love what they're doing with light. And there's something really, really striking about that. But the elements of um, the blocky character models, and even though they're so well animated, the just the the kind of flat face on Wander and everything, uh, it, it does feel a little distracting to somebody who's used to more kind of modern um modern graphics in a way that you know there are certain elements of the older presentation that really work and some that they you know probably don't benefit that strongly from drawing more attention to this much later in time my only complaint about the graphics of this game in taken kind of out of context is that wander's face just looks weird I I think that his face is actually bit, yeah. the one kind of striking problem of this game. And it it's a bummer because in I feel like he doesn't erode the same way that he did in the PS2 one because um, he just kind of looks baby faced the whole time. Uh, that's yeah. it. It is strange, isn't it? Yeah. He looks like a working Joe from Alien Isolation. <laughs> so one of the things that I wanted to touch on is I don't have answers to this, but I've certainly got questions. Like in terms of the difficulty of actually making a more stylized aesthetic for the, 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 the remake, not the remaster. I wonder to what extent there's like lift and shift of certain software embedded in some of the way that they've actually went and developed some of this. So in the, the, the soft ambient shadows and some of the clothing, like are they just reusing or repurposing software that's available from, I don't know, whatever development scenarios that they're using rather than having to just go and create a load of proprietary um, mechanisms and, and um, engineer new ways to actually get that done. And then it, it becomes a case of like, what's the commercial constraints that are against them at the same point? I think that would be an interesting sort of conversation to have. Yeah, I mean, and it would be incredibly difficult to for them to develop a kind of stylized version of graphics that in itself didn't feel like it was changing the feel of the original game because imagine imagine if you know they decided that this should have like cell shading or whatever like it 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 seems like there's no way of updating it to modernity while you know it's got to be stylized in some way but the original was stylized because it was the way a ps2 game looked and you just can't do that anymore 100 percent, and you see the effect of this with uh gen design on um the last mm-hmm. guardian and look how long it took to actually get that into a state that they were comfortable to actually start the workout out yeah, absolutely so a few of the technical details about the remake just to compare the graphics from a number perspective the original ps2 version ran at a resolution of 512 by 224 the ps3 version ran at 1280 by 720 the ps4 version uh, can run either at a 1080 by 900 upscaled or it is a 4k compatible if you have a playstation 4 pro um, you can uh, turn it down uh, uh, resolution wise to get a fairly solid 60 frames per second i don't remember any any dips myself but i might have just kind of glossed over some of those i'm not frame counting myself necessarily uh, and um, it is hdr compatible on the playstation 4 pro as well um, there are some quality of life changes. Uh, we already mentioned the controls were optimized and simplified. Um, there are some UI changes, which we touched on the the way that the uh, that the on screen HUD is laid out. It's 
both a little bit more kind of, I would say, visually appealing. Um, the colors tend to fit a little bit nicer with the rest of what you're seeing on screen uh, while still being clear enough to convey the information. Things tend to be a little bit smaller and less intrusive. And um, it's just, you know, it's a little bit more kind of out of uh, out of sight, out of mind a little bit. Although I, I wish there was a way of um, communicating what you needed to know on screen without any HUD. I feel like that's that's the next step for this game when it gets remade for the PlayStation 5. Yeah, right? well, I mean, that's <laughs> The Last Guardian has no HUD, but it also has um, yeah. uh, no bars. You know, it doesn't... You never run out of grip in The Last Guardian. There's there's kind of less actual gameplay there. Yeah, and there's no concept mm-hmm. of death there either. Maybe maybe Wander just starts sweating, and you're like, oh, he's about to fall. <laughs> <laughs> you should just get that, uh, that dead space suit that can just track it on his spine. <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't change the feel of the yeah, game. Yeah, the purists would be super happy about that (laughs) perhaps one of the more striking and what could be a fairly controversial but i feel like was handled subtly enough to where i didn't really hear anyone kicking off about it uh but there are hidden coins um scattered throughout the world which feels very video gamey but again it's so subtle that it really like unless you are looking for them explicitly you might stumble upon one or two of the 79 hidden coins throughout your entire playthrough like they're they're very well hidden and um they're really um they're very non-intrusive to the play experience so this actually is a reference back to some of the great secrets of uh, the original release of shadow of the colossus J- um, jacob if you want to tell any of the stories of um of some of these uh secret seekers and uh and some of the the great stuff that's been unearthed since the original game's release. Yeah, sure. So so in short, uh and if you want to hear in long, <laughs> I can show you a video. Um but it, but in short there were there were people who were committed to finding what they thought was a last secret in the original release of Shadow of the Colossus and there was there's a mistranslated interview with Ueda where he said there's still one thing that that had yet to be found and so that involved just going to every corner of the world and doing everything that you could possibly think of um in an attempt to kind of like trigger something you know to to find a 17th colossus or to to get a secret ending or something and that gradually morphed into just kind of an exploration of the game space because eventually people did kind of hack the game and were able to go out of bounds and see all of this this cut content that's still kind of there um there's like a giant dam that's just out in the middle of the void that that seems fully rendered and ready to like fight a colossus on and and there's a ton of extra stuff um and they just kind of kept going on this this original forum thread which runs for like you know six thousand posts or something and and so when when bluepoint was making this remake they did in fact pay tribute to to those secret seekers and maybe the most prominent is a guy named Nomad Colossus who's been making videos on YouTube forever kind of exploring the out of bounds areas and such and when they were making this they they called him to the studio and he didn't know that they were putting in these these coins but but it was clearly a thing related to him and related to the Secret Seekers. And so then if you see in the credits of this game, under the special thanks part, there's a thing that says Nomad Colossus and the 79 Steps to Enlightenment. And that's 
you are unlikely to make it through this game and find almost any of those coins. But when people saw that, they were like, holy crap, there's something else going on here. Um, and and then scoured the world in the same way that they had in the original. But unlike in the original, there actually was one final secret. And if you find all of those coins, which are truly hard to find, then then there is a secret door that opens on the side of the Shrine of Worship. And there's a there's a big sword there and the sword you know it doesn't do much it it looks cool and it kind of makes you look like Dorman but mostly it is just an acknowledgement of you know how how much people had sunk into finding out everything about this game I, I remember when I first heard this story back on the uh, Eurogamer article back in 2013 mm-hmm. um, you know you click a good headline you start reading and then just the story unfolds in front of you. And I was just glued to the screen for the entire time. It took me to read through the article. I was just like clicking on links for references and stuff like that. And just like, this is just one of my favorite things that I've ever read. And then of course, um, last year, I think it was when, uh, when Jacob published his video, which is such a, a great summation. It's a, a very watchable, very exciting, uh, way to, um, get a, a really, really nice, really succinct, succinct summary of the um, of the story while watching accompanying footage alongside of it. It's just, I don't know, every time I hear this story, it's just so magnetic. There's something that feels so, um, so alluring because the game is such an enigma because there is so much empty space that seems to be so intentionally designed but holds nothing of, you know, quote unquote, unquote, unquote value. (laughs) You know, obviously there was value in having more world to explore, but there's nothing that a video game, video gamer has been conditioned to find valuable. (laughs) And so it's just, it's, it's such a, and it was a time before you could, um, a time before games were data mined before they even released, you know, it was a time before there was a sense that somebody could go into the code and literally find every asset that a game contained, you know? And so there was this mystery, this big question mark for such a long time and, and so many great, um, really intelligent people coming together and putting together these, uh, theories that sounded absurd, but were so well researched and so well justified that you're like you know what this might just work and i hope it does because i'm along for the ride (laughs) that and that's the thing not to just continually to uh, promote jacob's video in fact this podcast is the first time that jake and i jacob i've ever spoken that hasn't been on a slack but i i can tell you that i have recommended that video to friends of mine who have now gotten into shadow of the colossus and have played that because it just it exemplifies and and puts a focus on 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 just the greatest part of video games like the greatest part of a community coming together to look for things and 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 just the mystery and wonder of an, of exploring a really a really well crafted space like that feeling of just feeling like there's something behind every wall behind every rock that everything was put there with a purpose and it just it just does such a good job of 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 exploring the reasons why we look for secrets mm, yeah. and what and and the rewards therein and even if there is no reward the reward that is just the intrinsic nature of exploring and it's just it's I can't recommend it enough and I'm and and, and it just it, it's one of those things that you watch that and if you have any interest in Shadow Colossus which I'm assuming if you've been listening this long you do 
like it just adds to that experience. It makes me it makes me value it so much more just knowing like like what these experiences can evoke from a group of human beings. It's 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 powerful. And I think that's the reason that that it's so popular is it, it's just it, it just shows you what this medium is capable of. And it kind of it reinvigorates you in a way, because, I mean, we we play a lot of video games. There's a lot of stuff that comes out and and you kind of get bogged down and, and you kind of you know see the volume of things coming out. And then when you have a product like this that can inspire such creativity from the community it's really refreshing and it's just it's such a wonderful story and and i can't recommend watching the video and reading that that story and just looking into the nomad colossus and watching his videos and and stuff to see how this all came to be and that's the thing is that we don't want to to say that this this story had an unhappy ending you know i think a lot of the things that people were expecting was maybe there's a hidden colossus because you know there are there were colossi that were cut from the game and we can see them in early, early videos from the game or early concept art and stuff like that. But, you know, people were, as people tend to do, you know, they, they excite themselves and they, they shoot for the moon with like what could possibly be out there. But, you know, as Jacob mentioned before, like when the layers were stripped back, maybe it wasn't the very specific path that they were going down, but there are incredible secrets to find in this game and you know maybe not things that really turn the entire game on their head but just things that you wouldn't expect to be there <laughs> there's a, a a secret garden on top of the temple which features in the final cutscene in the game but also you can get up to it you could there was a climbing path that can uh, take you up to it if you have an absurd amount of um of stamina which you can only collect through something like four playthroughs of the game consecutively you can do it in in so i did it in about two and a half but you have okay. to really go out of your way to collect all the all lizard's, lizards tails yeah. at the same point yeah actually i reached that garden for the first time this morning in the remake i had done it in the original Ooh. um but yeah you you just need a lot and also in the garden there's fruit that shrinks your uh your grip bar kind of i guess just as you know you could read some story significance into it but also just kind of seems like a mean joke like welcome up and now now it's going to go back down yeah and from the garden you can traverse the bridge i guess Mm -hmm. that's what it is and go all the way over the end where you buffeted away that's my favorite part yeah that you can run across you know it takes about 10 minutes to run across the whole thing i would say if anyone is uh is interested in seeing more of this cut content some of the real treats are these unused colossi uh there's a uh, actually a, a pretty good number of them i think there's eight unused colossi that were planned for the game at some point and uh, some of them were more developed and and fleshed out than others were but um really interesting there is a a devil a griffin a monkey a phoenix a rock a uh, serious spider and a worm that are uh, you know there's good repertoires of uh, knowledge out there about everything that we know about them they're are people like Nomad Colossus that have speculated and have presented evidence as to where in the world that currently exists in Shadow of the Colossus uh, these fights may have happened using, um, you know, like some of the uh, some of the Colossi are seen in early videos of the game were cut from the final content, but they can still find some of the um, some of the features of the environment that are in those videos to match the location where that video was filmed. And so it just feels, um, it just feels like there's so much, so much there. And I mean, if this game is ever remade again, 
I would be really interested if some of these cut colossi were put back into the game, <laughs> like either as secrets or as a part of the main path. But I, I just I would love to see another Colossus developed at around the same time. And obviously they're cut for a reason, you know, maybe they weren't working so well, maybe they weren't that fun to fight, but just like to know that there is more out there to some degree feels, uh, feels kind of magical. All right. Um, uh, let's, uh, let's briefly touch on the music and sound. Uh, so the music is, uh, as we said, fairly minimal in the actual traversal of the um, overworld. I think it only kicks in if you move to a more kind of cinematic camera or if you go into the map. Um, But of course, the music is very prominent during these Colossus fights, which um, usually there's two pieces that'll play. One that is kind of a lower energy piece as you are trying to figure out how to get onto the Colossus in the first place or shooting it with arrows and nothing else. Uh, And then a higher energy piece as you actually get on to the back of the Colossus and um, you know, those are, those always feel so kind of triumphant or scary. And there's just really, really emotional pieces of music, just some um, really beautiful stuff. It's always super evocative. And uh, of course the, um, the sound is really well captured as well. There's um, the, the beautiful sounds of nature and the sounds that the Colossi make themselves uh, just really paint a, a very vivid soundscape throughout the game. Yeah. I think these are, virtually unchanged from the original but they were you know they're so, they're so good why change it good. yeah <laughs> the sounds of nature um i i couldn't help but but notice that i was playing through the 2018 version that um a lot of that feeling of of being out there on the on the plains or, or in the desert or, or in the forest and just having that that real and we overuse this term in video game conversation, but like an actual visceral feeling you know the the definition of the word visceral this feeling that like that you're truly out there has just been that's just been replicated by so many games that have come since and i'll talk about this a little bit more in the in the conclusion but you know it's 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 that kind of lack of music and the only the sounds of your surrounding to emphasize what type of area you're in how alone you are things like that it's just something this game mm-hmm. really kind of defined how music and, and natural sounds were used in games from that point on Before we close out and uh, move into the community feedback, I just wanted to note that Sony announced that a film was uh, in production in 2009 with uh, Kevin Misher producing Seth Lockhead on screenplay and Josh Trank directing, but um, nothing ever seemed to come of it. I don't know. I I don't think it's been officially canceled. It's just one of those things. I mean, they've announced other directors for it sense yeah. like why would anyone ever want a shadow of the colossus movie kind of is beyond me but yeah it's just like the bioshock movie and the uncharted movie and everything else it's theoretically been being made for a decade um and just hasn't <laughs> nothing's come of it well with the positive reviews of the sonic movie that's come out this week why wouldn't you want yeah, to can make we a, get a uh, can we get movie? ben schwartz to voice one <laughs> <laughs> I want him to voice aggro. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I would like to see these colossi kind of realized in a realistic looking setting. I think maybe maybe I want a Super Bowl commercial instead of a movie. Yeah, but uh, or like that that animation studio that did like the the remade Halo Two cutscenes. Yeah. Oh man, I think this would be a career ender. I think it's such a sacred cow among such a sort of strong contingency of people that it's just you're never going to please anyone. Anyways, let's go over to the community, see what they have to say about this remake. 
Toonskatoon says, personally, having played the remaster for the first time in late 2018 and the remake less than 12 months later, I can say the latter version sure seemed a lot smoother, but it was hard to gauge how much of that was due to a symptom of knowing my objectives in advance versus the redesigned controls. The more complicated change, in my opinion, was the impact of the lighting, graphics, and color palette. Riding Agro uh, swiftly across the forbidden landscape of the remake had a meditative appeal the way that being a passenger on the scenic drive does. There is a majesty achieved that comes closer to rivaling real-world natural wonders like the Grand Canyon or the Rocky Mountains in Glacier National Park than in almost any other game I've played. That is an accomplishment to be sure, but the remaster creates an experience more akin to being in an unfamiliar graveyard or an abandoned quarry, somehow conjuring that scent of magic and mystery and stakes of a scale beyond our physical senses. I want very badly to write that one of these achievements is more impressive than the other, but somehow I can't bring myself to make that killing stroke against either work of art. Now, Praptor says, Perhaps unsurprisingly, some of the impact was lost on me by the time I played it. I can only imagine how striking a novel this would have been back in 2006 or even 2011. By the time I played, though, it was more than 12 years on from the original release. We were in a world where I had already experienced Dark Souls with its environments of melancholy, faded grandeur, and bleak majesty. I had already experienced the wide-open environments of Breath of the Wild, teeming with life and secrets to uncover. I'm afraid that by the time I came to Shadow of the Colossus, the novelty was lost on me and it felt, well, a bit dull. The world is empty. I appreciate that they are creating a bleak atmosphere, but it still gets a bit boring when all you can do in this beautiful world is ride between one fight to the next. Although the fights against the Colossi were epic, they, were, they could also be frustrating. Often you can see what you needed to do next, but the control system to get there was labored and frustrating. Because the shifting planes of movement, Wander would suddenly leap in a different direction from the, from the one I had intended and plummet back to the ground to have to start the whole laborious process all over again. What should have been a thrilling confrontations could occasionally feel like chores. And Alex79UK says, The game is amazing and the audio incredible. The world is so empty that even the sound design lends itself to the isolation of the player feels wandering that land. The wind whistling through the canyon, the scurrying of a lizard, but all that gets blown away by that huge epic creatures you have to fight. And what fights they are. I'm sure I won't be the only one to bring it up, but the moment with the first flying colossi when you jump up and grab its wing, uh, not much in almost 40 years of gaming has felt that exhilarating. The game is just a masterpiece. Let's not talk about that final battle, though. All right. Um, we have some three-word reviews from our Twitter account as well. We'll put out a tweet on the day of recording. If you have just three words to say about a game, this is the perfect avenue for that. Uh, Andrew Elmore says, big game, good. Or Sorry, that I got that wrong. Just three words. I should be able to handle this, really. <laughs> game big, good. David Tibble says, blue point are wizards. Jordan Bryan says, beautiful, enormous, atmospheric. Safe says, return, revenge, reborn. Wayward Prophet says, still a masterpiece. Austin Bennett says, truly respectable spectacle. Alex79UK says, slaying massive monsters. Porg of Prophecy says, hasn't aged well. And Octorok385 says, my, they're large. I, uh, I... Presume that was about this game, yes. Um, <laughs> I, before we get into our own summaries, I wanted to kind of give a brief overview of uh, some of the games that this went on to influence, um, being such a singular 
point in uh, 2005, such a, a unique game, its effect can still be felt through um, through today. Honestly, you know, there's so many games that um, even now harken back to Shadow of the Colossus. I think there's some that take after it very directly, like the boss fights in um, the Castlevania Lords of Shadow Shadow Lords mm-hmm. of Shadow yep. game <laughs> um, that emulate the climbing on the monsters and and striking them from their backs or the kind of smaller scale fights from uh, dragon's dogma that have a similar kind of grip and climb mechanic um there's uh indie games that have taken after the mantle like titan souls and like the upcoming pray for the gods um are there other games that you feel um owe a lot of their scale and spectacle to shadow the colossus in particular the two that I would say uh, fundamentally that I feel directly inspired are are, are a lot of from software titles. Um, I I could talk about Dark Souls, Bloodborne, um, and, and I also think Legend of Zelda: Breath of the Wild. Mm-hmm. There are so many times I played uh, in playing this remake and playing Breath of the Wild. I could just direct comparisons how those feel like in certain avenues to one another. Just like it's amazing when you watch what giant video game companies learn from the achievements of others, and I I feel that. Shadow of the Colossus is just one of those ones where you cannot effectively measure the impact it's had on other developers and and just just in and how to facilitate how a game feels to the to the user experience it's it's um yeah it's 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 an incredible thing for me uh Dragon's Dogma uh has a an element of climbing on the beasts and and such in that game and although this game predates Shadow of the Colossus the Monster Hunter franchise has moved in a direction that closely emulates some of the climbing mechanics that you would have on uh Shadow of the Colossus and this is kind of a, a cheap answer but um play the last guardian <laughs> Because that game has <laughs> yeah. clearly learned a lot from that game and it, it it's very different, but there are, you know, the kind of wonders of scale and and interactions between person and beast are are really there. And it's just so interesting to see what what Ueda and that team took from Shadow of the Colossus, because it's not necessarily the things you would expect you know, it's they they there is a lot of that DNA there, but it's not there. There aren't any black gouts of blood in in The Last Guardian. You know, it's a it's a very different game. All right. Let's move on to our personal summaries and whether we would recommend this version or the other versions that are available of this game. Uh, I'll start off by saying that. Uh, I mean, I've been pretty consistent throughout the podcast. I, I really, really, really love this game. Uh I, I think it's a, a masterpiece. It's a beautiful experience. I, I really can't recommend people uh, play this one highly enough. I, I think that both the PlayStation 3 remaster and this version have um, have their merits. I tend to personally prefer this version just because of a few of the control niceties. And I just, I, I find the world really beautiful to look at. I think in both instances, um, even the PlayStation 2 version feels a decade ahead of its time. But, you know, I, I think that this game and the work that blue point have done on it is just so singularly beautiful that, um, it would not be a jarring leap like a, uh, going back to the PlayStation two version, uh, might be for modern players. So, you know, definitely, um, 
definitely play this PlayStation 4 version. Maybe it'll even be uh, touched up and running a little bit nicer when the PlayStation 5 comes around. I am curious to dive back in there and maybe it'll boost the frame rate further. Who knows? But, um, you know, play this version. If you're curious about the original version of the game, the PlayStation 3 remaster is terrific and really worth experiencing as well. I'd say if you have access to the PlayStation 3 version, you can probably skip the PlayStation 2 original just because um, the PlayStation 3 version really kind of holds everything that I really appreciate about the PlayStation 2 version while foregoing a lot of the technical um, difficulties of the original in the in its uh, frame rate and resolution. Uh, how about Rich? So you might not think this based around some of the uh, panels that have been involved in in the Kane and Rince podcast, but usually one of the things that I struggle with is that I have a generally quite tepid reaction to some Stone Cold classics. So I want to say this just to preface my thoughts on the whole three of the Shadow Colossus games. I think it is one of the most exceptional games that's ever been made. I think it's shift, shifted the paradigm of the entire gaming industry since 2006 or 2005, depending on whichever region you're on. And f- for me, it's been an incredibly formative game. Like I think a lot about some of the metaphors that are in the game and I can sympathize with uh, Wanda as, a, as an individual and some of his ambitions, as well as the actual duality of the actions that he's taken. I think this may sound like a reductive observation to make, but I don't think it's any worse or any better than the original title. It just feels like an extension of what was created at the time in a more modern uh, version with some of the niceties that you would expect to come along with that. It's obviously clearly more accessible than the PS2 version at the moment, and it's less difficult than the PS3 version, especially if you want to do things like Time Attack. What the PS4 version, however, has is, is an incredible photo mode, which for me is going to be something that I'll use pretty much throughout to try and capture some of the memories that I would have never been able to on the PS, uh, PS2 and the PS3 version. All right. And Brian? Um, I think I have a little bit less to say um, because I had, had not played the PS2 version, but as a player of the, the PS3 remaster and now the remake, I just think that this is just such a good example of how to correctly do a remake and it's very easy for me not to say to say that as not being a game developer i don't know the resources and time and development costs it takes to do a remake like this but it's just so it seems to just capture the spirit of the original so well to the point where i think that well ryan is absolutely right that if you want the truer original form you can go back to the ps3 or the ps2 version I don't think you're missing out on anything by playing this PS4 version. I think it, it's one of the most visually striking games I've ever played. I think it 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 evokes an emotional reaction out of me that is not easy to get for a game. Um, and I just think that to be able to play one of the all-time greats on the current generation of console at a visual fidelity that's as high, it's just it's an experience. It's an opportunity that it, especially if you've never never touched the fran- touched uh, Shadow of Colossus game. Um, it, it just it seems like you'd really be missing out on an integral piece of the video game puzzle if you didn't give this one a shot. Um, the game won't be for everybody, I know that, but it, it seems like um, if you're if you care about the history of video games in any way, shape, or form, that this is something you would need lead to get at least need to get your fingers on at one point or another. And I think the PS4 version, this 2018 remake, is just is just such a stellar game. I I, I don't I don't have high enough praise for it. Right, and Jacob. So as I said at the beginning, the concept of a Shadow of the Colossus made 
on current gen systems was something that I had literally dreamed about. And, and, you know, I, I remember thinking, what if they made a Shadow of the Colossus that looked like this when I was playing like God of War 3? And, and you know, I said it again when I was playing Breath of the Wild and all of this. And so seeing seeing this, just the trailer for this come out was an incredibly exciting moment for me. And I think that the game more or less delivers on everything that I wanted, but also solidifies that what I liked about the game was not really how it looked, you know, that that this is this is an unbelievable, unbelievable achievement of of graphics and lighting and technology and everything else. But, But I really get the same feelings that I got from the PS2 one. And so I think the reason that I'm most glad that this exists is just that other people get to play Shadow of the Colossus now and and people who might not mm. be interested playing a 2005 video game can play this now and feel what I think is still a, a just exceptional and unique story told in this medium. You know, we talked about how many games have been influenced by Shadow of the Colossus, but I still think that it's it, it's interesting that there's nothing that you can there's nothing that makes this game obsolete. Nothing has done the Shadow of the Colossus thing so much better that there's no point in playing it because this is just such a singular experience. And so I, I love that there's a pretty remake. I like that the barrier of entry is lower for people who want to enter. For me, I think the PS2 one will always be the true Shadow of the Colossus. That feels like what Fumito Ueda wanted to make. But I I just couldn't be happier that that there is a whole new generation of people who gets to experience what is probably my favorite game. All right. That's uh, sounds like a pretty resounding uh, yes. If anyone is on the fence about whether or not to try Shadow of the Colossus after all these years. And uh, maybe we can uh, revisit Shadow of the Colossus in another nine volumes of Canermints <laughs> when it's remade again for the PlayStation 6. but. For now, it remains for me, Ryan, to thank Jacob Rich, Brian, as well as our community correspondents, and invite you all to join us again next time in issue 407, where we mellow out a little bit with Super Mario RPG Legend of the Seven Stars. To the Canonman's Video Game Podcast, part of the Canonman's Collective. Support us for just two US dollars per month at patreon.com slash for early, extended, and exclusive podcasts. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube, and our website, canonman's.com. 